Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Psalm 71, you can open your copy of God's Word there as we uh, consider that together. Aging is hard at every stage, and it tends to get harder as we get older as well. I know it's a little funny to hear me say that because uh, I am young, right? But I did check this morning. I have about 15 gray hairs right here on this temple. Uh, God knows the exact number. He does actually know the number of our hairs. Uh, but uh, So I, I am finally graying and aging a little bit. Uh, I look about 15 years younger than I actually am, so if that helps you at all either. But aging is always difficult no matter what stage of life it is. Change comes, wrinkles develop, gray hairs grow, or hair falls out, or strength fades, memory fades. All these things tend to come as we age. And if the Lord tarries, this is something that each and every one of us will face. We age, we get older. How then do we depend on a steadfast, immovable, unchanging God through the changes of life, through the process of aging and the difficulties that come along with that? Psalm 71 teaches us just how to do that today, how to pray as your hair turns gray. We're going to work our way through the psalm, and the psalmist gives us a number of examples in the text here of how we can pray with confidence, even as we age, even as our own strength begins to fade, and we see better the reality of our own weakness and finiteness. The psalm reminds us how we can depend on the Lord confidently, even as we age. We know this is a psalm of old age because a couple times the psalmist refers to himself as an old age. Verse 9, he says, when I am old and my strength fails. Verse 18, the psalmist talks of uh, being old and gray-headed. This is a time of weakness in the psalmist's life, and he faces some difficulty associated with that, but seeks to depend on the Lord even in the midst of that. This is also a psalm of habit, a psalm of developing persistent traits in life. There's a word that comes up in every section of this psalm. It's the word continually. The psalmist does something over and over and over again. And as he now in his old age looks back on his life, I think in many ways it was those habits, those things he did continually that allow him now in his old age to be confident in the Lord. You notice in verse 3, he talks about resorting to the Lord continuous. Resorts not in terms of vacation. Resorts in terms of running to him for safety as a refuge. You'll notice in verse 6 that he praises God continually. And you'll notice in verse 14 that he chooses to hope in God continually. You see, these repeated acts of trust in God and praying in these ways develop a life of confidence so that even in old age, as strength fails, this psalmist 
is confident in a God who is faithful and does not change. So let's learn how we too can pray even as we age, even as maybe our own hairs turn gray. Number one, we can go to God continually for help. We see this in verses one through three where the psalmist makes the choice to run to God. In fact, it's almost this phrase exactly in verse three when he says, to him I will resort continually. The word resort is just the word to go. He's going to God continually. This is referring to prayer. And notice the prayer of the psalmist in verses 1 through 3. He begins just by expressing his confidence in God. He says, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. This is a choice. And I love this about this wise, aged psalmist who's telling us that faith in God is not a feeling. It's a choice. And he begins there. In you, I put my trust. He asks the Lord for some things. Let me never be put to shame. He doesn't want the fact that he's trusting God to be an embarrassment. He wants the fact that he's trusting God to be seen as a good thing. He says, deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Now, as we study this psalm, we're going to see that not only is he facing the weakness and the challenges of old age, but there seem to be some specific people seeking to do him harm. And so when he says, cause me to escape, he probably has in view some specific situation where maybe even because of his old age, these others are seeking to put him down, seeking even to take his life. And he asked God to save him and to help him. Verse 3, he says, be my strong refuge. This is a rock of habitation. In fact, some of your translations may translate it that way. And that word habitation is especially helpful because what is a habitation? It's a place where we go and return to. It's our dwelling place. It's where we go over and over and over again habitually, habitation, right? You get that? It's this refuge. God is the one to whom our mature psalmist runs over and over and over again. He goes to God, his refuge. He resorts to him continually. And he even has confidence. He says, you've already given the command to save me. I know, God, that you will watch out for me. I know you will Take care of me. Why? The end of verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. We sang together, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Aren't you thankful that God is a rock? He's a fortress. He's a refuge. He's the one to whom we may go continually. We like to think of places of refuge, places of safety. So I did a quick internet search of the strongest fortresses out there in the world today, right? And so there's a variety of fortresses that came up, castles, you know, that have stood for hundreds of years through various different wars and battles and things like this. And though some of these fortresses are still standing, they don't guarantee protection and safety, do they? There is no fortress that can keep out every evil or harm. There is no rock or refuge that can protect us from everything except one. Because there's only one in the universe who is mightier than all. There's only one in the universe who's stronger than everything. And he calls himself 
a rock and a fortress. Our God is our rock and our fortress. So why go anywhere else but to our God? Carrie and I had the opportunity at one point to give care to an elderly saint whose health was failing. And we were often there to help with various needs that he had. As his strength waned and couldn't do things for himself, to help care for him in his times of need. This was a man who had walked with God faithfully through his life. And one of the sweet blessings for Carrie and I in those times of caring for him was to see the way that he did run continually to God, his refuge. At first, in ways that seemed awkward to us. We would be in conversation or just doing things around his apartment there to help him, and there would be this sudden outburst. Lord, I don't know why I hurt so much, but I trust you. Help me today. You know, and we're going what, to, what was that? Were you talking to us? No, he was just talking to the Lord. Right? And then time would go on and something would happen and another thing would come up. And again, he'd run to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand why I can't do this, but I trust you. Help me. And over and over and over again, he would run to the Lord, his refuge. You see, this is a habit we develop. Knowing that God is our refuge as we face those times of trouble or weakness or fear or difficulty, where's the first place we go? It ought to be to the Lord. He's our refuge. He's the one to whom we should run habitually, continually, over and over and over again. The psalmist has such confidence in God. In fact, we, we noticed there in verse Uh, three, that he says, you have given the commandment to save. And and we don't know that all the uh, psalmist had in mind by saying that, maybe just expressing confidence in God, but today, as New Testament believers, looking back in the Old Testament, it's fun to think about a phrase like that because knowing more about our God, we can say confidently, God has given the command to save, hasn't he? God has commanded that his son would die in our place to provide salvation for sinners. It may be that you're here today and you've not made God your Savior by trusting in his provided salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given the command to save you. The question is, have you accepted that salvation? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, he took your sin upon himself, died upon the cross, paying the penalty that you deserved to pay, that I deserved to pay. He paid that penalty in full, died, and was buried. Three days later, rising from the dead, showing that he had paid the price in full, that he had conquered our sin and death, and that he was indeed the sufficient Savior for all mankind. And now he offers that salvation to anyone who will trust in him alone. Would you make the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior today? Would you find refuge in God? Really, that's what salvation is. It's that choice to look to Jesus as refuge forevermore. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your your eternal destiny, then would you trust Him with the day-to-day stuff of this life? Would you learn to resort to Him continually? I mean, if you can really trust Him with your eternity, 
Can't you trust him with today's aches and pains? Grow in your own habit of going to the Lord with all the things you face. Process the day with him. Ask him for help as you wake up in the morning and the burdens of the day begin to creep into your mind. (laughs) And you notice the anxiety maybe beginning to wrap around your heart. Lord, help me today to rest in you and to trust you. Entrust yourself to him as you wait to hear from the doctor about what he thinks might be going on with your health. Go to the Lord. Ask him for grace and strength as you face that challenge. Express trust in his strength as you feel too weak for the upcoming tasks. Ask for his grace and humility to ask for help from others for things that you've always been able to do for yourself in the past. Whatever you face in the challenges of this life, go continually to the Lord for help. I wonder, as we age, are we becoming more worried or more confident in our God? because we go to him over and over and over again. As the psalmist continues in verses 4 through 13, we're going to notice the way that he looks to the past. You'll see him reference the days of his youth, even his, even his birth in this section. And as he looks to the past, he makes the choice to praise God continually. He looks back at God's faithfulness, and that becomes the source from which he gives God thanks and praise. And so we see number two today. As we age, we should pray this way, by praising God continually for past help. As we look to the past and remember what God has done, his praise should be on our lips continually. He uses almost this exact phrase in verse 6. He speaks of wanting to praise God continually. He says, my praise shall be continually of you. He wants to give glory and praise to God for what the Lord has, has done in the past. Notice what he points out, and we'll move quickly through these verses. You can track along in your text as I point some things out. First of all, in verses 4 and 5, these verses are a pair. He says, Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. Why? For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. So here's another request for help. In fact, he's doing what we saw in point one. He's resorting to God. He's going to God continually. He's doing it again in this section. Deliver me, O God. He's asking God for help. But you see, he does it with confidence. You are my hope and my trust from my youth. He looks back to his growing up years over and over and over again. He'd been trusting the Lord. Verse 6. He even thinks back to his birth. By you I've been upheld from birth, for you are he who took me from my mother's womb. Now, obviously the psalmist can't remember the actual time he was born. I think it's a grace of God that we don't remember uh, that process of birth. But our parents do, right? And they pass it on to us and explain how it went. And even just the fact that we're here today is a sign that God preserved me through the crazy intense process of birth. There's no guarantee 
that we would live through that. God provides mothers and fathers and other caregivers to make sure that a little baby completely dependent upon others is cared for. This all comes from God. And even there, the psalmist is acknowledging that, Lord, it was you ultimately who took care of me when I could do nothing. And it's interesting he brings that up because maybe now in his elderly years, returning to points of weakness and dependence on others, he looks back to his early years when he was completely dependent upon others and remembers how God cared for him then. So as I need help from others, God won't forsake me. He'll continue to watch over me. And so he looks back and praises God. Verse 6, he wants God's praise to continually be on his lips. I love that. That more and more our lips would be filled with praise to God. It's so easy in aging, at whatever stage we're at, to complain about those little things that have changed. Those little things that weren't the way they were. And before we know it, that's what we talk about all the time with our friends and family and Oh, we used to, I wish, oh man, it's always moaning and groaning and mumbling. Oh, that more and more as we age, praise would be on our lips. Giving praise to God for how he's been in the past and how we trust him for the future. Verse 7, the psalmist makes an interesting statement here. He says, I've become as a wonder to many. And the word can, can mean wonder in a positive sense. It can also mean something like surprisingly bad, like uh, this is a sign of God's judgment even. And I tend to think that's what it's talking about here. He, he's saying, others look at me and they think you've abandoned me. In fact, down in verse 11, that's what other people are actually saying. Verse 11 saying, God has forsaken him, pursue him and take him, for there's none to deliver him. So as they watch his aging, others are saying, oh, see, God's abandoned him now. Now's our chance to take him. But the psalmist knows God has not left him. He says in verse 7, I've become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. I love that. Even though it would appear He's growing weak and older. God has not changed. That's the place of the psalmist's confidence. (laughs) They think you've abandoned me, (laughs) but you are my strong refuge. You are my strong refuge. Verse 8, he makes this request that his mouth would be filled with God's praise and with his glory all the day. There again is that sense of continually All day long, he wants to be talking of the praise of God, not his aches and pains, not the troubles he faces, but that God's praise would fill his lips. And so in 9 through 13, we have a very direct prayer focused on the trouble he faces. Do not cast me off in the time of old age, nor forsake me when my strength fails. He references in verse 10, enemies who speak against him, and they actually lie in wait to take his life. Now, this is why some think this is talking about David, because there were periods in David's life, even in his old age, where there were those who were plotting against him to kill him. Others think this could be Jeremiah, drawing on some of the words of David and writing this psalm in his own time of old age when people were seeking to take his life. We we don't know who the psalmist is for sure. 
But there are those actually seeking to put him to death in his old age. Think about the difficulty of trusting God. Not only is his own strength fading, he can't do the things he used to do. But then there are also those who are seeking to put him to death. And yet he prays with such confidence in God. And so he says in verse 12 and 13, Oh God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me. That sounds similar to Psalm 70 from last week, doesn't it? Make haste to help me, O God. This is an urgent plea. Let them be confounded and consumed for the adversaries of my life, covered with reproach and dishonor, who seek my hurt. They are seeking to do evil, and so he prays to a righteous God to stop their evil plans. Bring them to confusion. Put down the the scheming that they're doing to commit this act of wickedness. The psalmist prays to God continually for past help. According to Edgar J. Goodspeed, who wrote a history of some of the early church fathers, he records this account of Polycarp's martyrdom on February 2nd, A.D. 156. As he was being driven to the arena where he would be given the choice of worshiping Caesar or refusing being offered to the lions, the city officials tried to persuade him to make a gesture of homage to Caesar. They had respect for him because of his old age and reputation and argued, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and burning incense and saving yourself? But Polycarp answered, for 86 years I have been Christ's slave and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And indeed, Polycarp lost his life. You see, looking back on the years of God's faithfulness continually, how he's been there over and over and over again, helps us then to praise God in the midst of our trials and troubles to give thanks to Him and to honor Him for a God who has shown His righteousness and faithfulness over and over again. Remember what God has done with gratitude. Recall even the things you can't recall. (laughs) That you're alive today, which means that God delivered you safely from the womb. (laughs) And here you are today. Praise Him for these things. In fact, as the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that was not given to you? It's true. And so we praise God for the way He's provided and been faithful. We develop this habit. As we say many times, any day that I'm not on the cross dying for my sin, I'm doing better than I deserve. And so I can give thanks to God. Maybe you don't have that much past to look back at. I'm thinking of the especially young people in the room. I would encourage you to ask your parents or another adult in this church or somebody with more than 16 gray hairs on their head to tell you a story of God's faithfulness. Ask them to share how God has been good to them. And listen, 
Oh, I long to see more of that happening in our congregation. It is happening. But across generations, remembering together how the Lord has been faithful. This praising God continually means something on the negative side. It means that I'm complaining less and less as well. Rather than speaking of all the ways I'm frustrated that it's too hot or too cold or I didn't get food when I wanted it in my normal schedule or moaning and groaning about how my body hurts, talking about the way things should be or used to be or the way I wish they were, that I didn't sleep well last night or couldn't find the shirt I wanted to wear or have a headache or am exhausted or there's quite a long list of things we can find to complain about. It means that as I grow in this habit of praising God, less and less are words of complaints on my lips and instead my mouth is filled with praise of God all the day. Now that doesn't mean we can't speak of things we are asking the Lord for. And the psalmist provides a beautiful example for us of that. Here he cries to God that he would be delivered from his enemies here. Of course, we can express these things to God, but always attach to them these statements of praise. You are my refuge, God. Plan to be thankful. Every morning, grab some thoughts about God that you can carry with you through the day so that when someone asks you how you're doing, you can honestly say, I'm thankful today that the Lord is my refuge. I'm facing this in my life, but I'm trusting God. Would you pray for me as I do that? Grab thoughts of his perfections and character and righteousness and faithfulness and carry them with you for the day that his praise might be on your tongue as you speak with people here and there. We come to the final section of this psalm in verse 14. And here we have another statement of what the psalmist is going to do continually. He says, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And you notice the tense of the verbs change to future. From here through the rest of the psalm, the psalmist is looking out ahead, even in his old age. He looks to the future and says, here's how it's going to (laughs) be. I will hope continually. I love that. So number three, express your hope in God continually for the future. He looks to the future. In fact, not only does he look to the future of his own life, he looks to future generations. He looks to those who are going to be around even when he's gone. This is a cool section of the psalm. Notice the things our psalmist teaches us. Verse 14, we mentioned already, the praise is more and more. It's growing. So not not only is he filling his lips with praise all the day long, but his goal is to grow in that, to praise God more and more and more and more. Talk about a beautiful change in the process of aging. May a sign of your aging be that you praise God more and more and more and more. He says in verse 15, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness, your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. (laughs) He's not worried about running out of material here. He can keep talking about these things. I don't even know the limits of God's righteousness and faithfulness. He's lived as long as he has and he has more to say 
about these character traits of God. Verse 16, he will go in the strength of the Lord God. This is a a word that just simply means his coming and going will be in the strength of God. He's going to depend upon God's strength and he wants that to be evident in his life. He will make mention of God's righteousness and God's alone as he grows in age. He's not pointing to his own righteousness. It's not about how he lived his life or what he did or his accolades or his accomplishments. He wants to more and more just point to the righteousness of God. What a great testimony. Verses 17 and 18. He looks back, you've taught me from my youth and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now when I'm old and gray-headed, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Talk about a sense of purpose in his old age. He knows why he still has breath so that by the very air in his lungs, the movement of his lips, every generation would hear and know of the strength and power of God. Let me tell you. You can almost imagine this old saint ready to share with the younger generations. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me share with you his power. Oh, that you would know like I do his strength and his faithfulness. And so he's excited to tell the next generation. Verses 19 to 24 become just this closing praise of God as he hopes in God. First, he talks about God's righteousness. It's higher, and that phrase very high in the New King James just means to the heavens. Maybe some of your translations say that. You have done great things. Oh God, who is like you? I love statements in Scripture like that. They just set God apart. This is what his holiness is. It's his perfection in every way so that he's set apart from everything, everyone, every being, every creature. He's unique. There is none like him. Verse 20 is a beautiful glimpse of God's sovereignty and trust in God's sovereignty. The psalmist acknowledges that God is the one who has shown him these great and severe troubles. That's part of maturity in the Christian life is acknowledging that there is a sovereign God and that he has the right to allow difficulties and troubles in my life. But the psalmist has no trouble with that. Lord, you've shown me trouble. You've shown me hard times, but what does he say? You shall revive me again and bring me up from the depths of the earth. Now, commentators debate whether this is just talking about a metaphor for just a low point in his life. I like to think the psalmist is talking literally about the resurrection. That even if he faces death and walks through death's doors, he knows that God will raise him up from the depths of the earth. He'll be raised again. Not even death can stop our God from caring for us. Isn't that great? So the psalmist rejoices in that. Why do I think it's resurrection? We'll notice verse 21. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. When will that be? When Jesus wipes away every tear. That's when we'll have comfort on every side. See, so the psalmist is excited about the future. He hopes in God's promises. Even as he faces death, he knows his God will raise him and there will be greatness and comfort on every side. 
And so, verses 22 through 24, there's just this praise. With the lute, I will praise you. And your faithfulness, O my God, I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. My soul, which you have redeemed, your tongue shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. For they are confounded, they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. He just rejoices in God's future victory. I love the emphasis on singing in verses 22 through 24. It it may be that you've had the opportunity to care for an older saint going through one of the great trials of life where they maybe begin to lose their memory. One thing that's often true of those who begin to lose their memories, they remember songs you ever experienced that before? They may not even remember your name, but you begin singing Amazing Grace or some other classic hymn and they're right there with you. Oh, to build a pattern in life of hoping in the future through songs, to sing the praise of God. What a way to pass on our confidence in God to the next generation, that they see us singing with hope, and with joy, and with whatever strength our lungs still have, (laughs) to praise the God who's been faithful, that those younger than us and haven't walked through the same things we have would see that we trust the Lord. We hope in His future continually. The psalmist, in a beautiful way, hopes in God for the future. Not only for the future generations, but for his own future. As he faces even death, he knows that God will raise him and comfort him. And so he expresses his hope in God. Hope is a powerful thing. We know this. I remember interacting with a child uh, who was very sweetly and kindly inviting Carrie and I to their birthday party. And so the child came up and said, oh, oh, would you come to our birthday party? And we thought, oh, that would be great. When is it? You know, and so we're thinking maybe next weekend or the weekend after. It's next year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we just, you know, already making plans, already putting together their goals and visions for their next, next year's birthday party. Hope is a powerful thing. As Christians, as especially as those aging, which we all are, day by day, may our hope more definitively be expressed in our hope in God's promises and His future for us. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, where Christ who is your life is. That more and more our, our eyes would be set on God's future for us. I loved singing that with you today in the fourth stanza of It Is Well With My Soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. May the return of Christ be our hope. May our eyes be fixed on the one we have trusted so far in this life and hope in for the future. Does this kind of hope overflow in our conversations? 
Does our hearts reveal where our treasure is? Do we long for our future home in His kingdom? Adults, help the young people in our church know how fleeting this life is. Help the young people in our church to know how worthless these earthly possessions are. Help the young people in our church know the joy of our eternal home. These are the things we need to pass on to the younger generation. And these are things that are not entrusted to programs. I'm so thankful we have equipped classes and youth group and camp. But these kinds of things are passed on from one adult, one elderly saint to another young person. From generation to generation, where in conversation we lift up the Lord God. We show how we love Him. We proclaim to those who are younger than us how the Lord has been faithful through the years. By the testimony of our lives, our conversation, the praise being on our lips, our hope, the way we sing in this church, may the younger generations learn to know and love God and hope in His eternal home. This is how God passes on the faith in the church. Many elderly lose their sense of purpose. Why has God left me here? But this is a beautiful goal for all of us. To use whatever strength we have, whatever voice, whatever breath we have left, to proclaim to the next generation the glory of God. We always have that purpose. And so, express your hope in God continually for the future. There are so many aspects of aging that are difficult. The psalmist mentions a number of them in the psalm. Fear of death. He mentions that in verses 10 and 11 and verse 20. Loss of honor and dignity, verse 1 and verse 21. Loss of strength, verse 9. A sense of vulnerability, verse 4, 11, and 18. Forced dependence on others, verse 6, 9, and 18. Fear that one's life will be devalued, verse 7 and 11. But as we face the changes and challenges of aging, may we as a people learn to pray to our God in such a way that we're running to Him continually. (laughs) When we wake up and see a new wrinkle or, or more gray hair or have that health problem that wasn't there yesterday, that the Lord is the one to whom we turn right away. That as we face the difficulties of getting older, we would look to the past with gratitude and thankfulness and praise God for how he has been there over and over and over. That as we see signs of the reality that our life is but a vapor, we would look to the future with hope and express that hope over and over and over again, not only to our friends and family, but to other generations So we're helping them to look to their faithful God as well, so that when they age, they can find confidence in a God who never changes. Father, we thank you so much 
for being an unchanging God. Teach us to pray as our hair grows gray. Help us to be a people who look to you continually, who are ready to praise you as we look to the past, who are ready to hope in you as we look to the future over and over and over again. Thank you for those mature saints in our congregation who have taught us well to do this. Encourage them in that endeavor and help us all as we age too. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.